welcome to the United States Paranormal Podcast. Sit down and buckle up for a lightning ride through everything cryptid, creepy, and paranormal. Hello, all of my paranormal freaks out there. It is I, Golden Jay, hanging out with... The Rocker Chick. And... J-Dub. And... Ah, Peter. <laughs> I like it. Peter is back with us again. Um, if you guys remember, I don't even remember what episode it was, but uh, what number it was, but it is one of the uh, most streamed episodes we've had in the uh, in the last year. And we've uh, been kind of doing some email back and forth, and we're thrilled to have him back with us again. So it's so good to see you again, my friend. Have you been enjoying uh, United States Paranormal and everything we've been putting out? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the new episodes were great. Uh, I certainly enjoyed Vamptober, and cool. it's, it's nice to hear Logan back on doing the uh, the recaps again. Everybody loves Logan. <laughs> <laughs> He's got that voice that'll set your floor on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Well, good. Well, I'm glad you're here. Um, tell us what's been going on in just your regular, regular everyday life. I know we we just kind of talked about uh, uh, hockey and all kinds of stuff like that. Give us a little breakdown of what you've been up to. Yeah, so work. It's it was a it's been a busy couple of months at work, which is good. Uh, and then, uh, as you mentioned, hockey is always always a constant in our family. So you know, having two kids and, and one's involved in hockey. We've been doing a little bit of traveling, just got back from Detroit, uh, had a wow. tournament out there. Uh, and then we had a Thanksgiving tournament back here. And of course, Thanksgiving was, was around. We had a right. bunch of people here at the house. So it's, it's been busy and now we're rolling right into the Christmas time. And so it'll be busy until after new year's, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, yeah, we've been, uh, I think our schedule is completely full until, uh, after the new year yeah and then we're taking like two weekends and just nothing we're locking gonna, the door and <laughs> we're, we're calling them hibernation weekends where we just shut everything down and don't talk to anybody <laughs> I think professionally we call those retreats right yeah there you go we're having a two retreat weekends back to back sounds good all right i'm down that's a great <laughs> idea <laughs> oh well as in typical two stop style Rocket chick, what do you Let, got for me? All right. Let me ask you this. What was your most memorable moment or thing that happened to you so far this year? Oh, moment. Oh, oh I, I, is my answer going to be the same as yours? Probably. We'll go, go ahead. Uh, I'm the same one. I'm sorry. I'll, Oh, well, I'll let me you, go first. Then. Okay, go first. <laughs> this is your question. You go first. My third grandbaby being born. Yay! Sophia Joe. How's that, Jeremy? That was going to be mine. <laughs> well, Too bad. You, said you, you always say, you have the same one. That'd be uh, different. <laughs> all right, J-Dub, what do you got? <laughs> <laughs> um. Wow. Most memorable? Most memorable or best thing that's happened to you this year? 
we got our spot at Jellystone. Yeah, I got <laughs> I had that in my mind. Yeah. Wow. All right. How about you, Peter? What's the uh, most memorable thing that's happened this year so far? What was J-Dubs? When we got our uh, 2024 camping spot at Jellystone. Uh, um, our, my most memorable so far this year, probably a, a family vacation that we took down to the, the Outer Banks. Ooh, oh, nice. wow. That was a, that was a good time. It was one of those times where nothing went wrong. You know, a big oh. vacation where a bunch of people went, we had a big house for the week and everything went well. Nice. Yeah. Dude, yeah. That, that's awesome. I like it when vacations go perfectly mm. in without any major issues. Yeah, that doesn't happen very often. So yeah. Um so that leaves me that, my that most memorable moment. And I can't use I can't use that can't one. Use no. Sophia. I cannot use no. Sophia. Um okay what was your second most memorable? Because we know that Sophia, what was your second? I don't I don't know. We we've I don't know. I you know I do so much um uh monday night in arrowhead stadium chiefs versus eagles oh okay although if you're gonna be there next sunday <laughs> that'll be the next what, one what, what was what, your most memorable moment of last week <laughs> but it, it it rained the whole entire time we were there so how do you forget about that it just rained on us the entire time and it was wet and cold and the beer was expensive, but delicious. And I mean, you know, there you go. So it was a memorable moment, but not like the best moment. No. Okay. No. <laughs> that makes sense. I think I'd really had, I wish you'd have gave me this a little earlier. Tell me I couldn't use Sophia. We can't fill you in on things. You always put us on the spot like that. <laughs> Peter, this is what I live with all day, all night. And then the, in the in next summer, it's all weekend. <laughs> You're going to be like, I'll text you and you'll be like, I'm not here. I'm, I'm not. I didn't come this weekend. <laughs> I'm sure you wouldn't change it for anything. Uh, not for no, for nothing. I mean, yeah, I love it. I love every minute of it. All right. Well, uh, let's let's get into the story today, because I know that Peter has got a couple things we're going to talk about, and I'm super excited to get into it. So I'm going to let you take the reins. So uh, keeping it here in Western Pennsylvania, last time I was on, we talked about Kecksburg and we talked about the uh, um, the, the Chestnut Ridge and, and some of that kind of stuff. So this one's a little bit more, we're going to kind of leave the cryptid uh, arena and get into a little bit more of the spooks and ghost type stuff. And uh, this one's going to be right in the Pittsburgh uh, area. We're going to first talk about the Manchester neighborhood, which is basically the north side of Pittsburgh, which if you're familiar with uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, this story takes place about two or three blocks from where Acrisure Stadium now sits. So okay. real easy to give you an idea geographically where we're at. So let me stop you right there real quick. So when I was researching this, I jumped on Google Maps because I won this because it, it actually talked about being close to I still call it Three River Stadium. What is it now? It's Acrishore now. Ah, basically Heinz Field. Yeah. But I'm old enough to where I I did see games at Three River Stadium <laughs> back in the day. Absolutely. I, 
I can remember uh, being at a Steeler game with my dad at Three Rivers and it was snowing, but the wind whipped around Three Rivers so hard that it was actually snowing from the ground up. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> Jinx. Yeah. You guys are crazy. Um, so I actually Googled it and then I jumped down on the street level to get a to get a look and you turn the camera around behind and you can see the parking lots for the stadium and, and you can see the stadium off in the distance on there. It's so pretty yes. crazy. So we're right at the confluence of, of the three rivers in Pittsburgh is right. where it okay. takes place. And, and it's a very logical reason for that. It's because um, that was a, a big hub. Uh, when we go back to when this story starts with the river traffic and with what was happening with Pittsburgh at, at that time period. And we're going back to the 1800s is where this first story starts. So we're going to talk about um, Charles Conglier is, is the gentleman that the, our story starts with. And he was down in the Texas area uh, post-Civil War, one of the carpetbagger type guys that made a lot of money very quickly after the, the Civil War. So he and his wife, um, his wife's name was Lida, L-Y-D-A, Lida. So Charles takes his wife, Lida, and they're made Essie and all the money that he made after the, the Civil War. And they jump on a ship and they head north. So as they're heading north, they stop for coal in Pittsburgh, where the Allegheny, the Monongahela and the Ohio all come together. So there's a lot of river traffic back then. And he said, this looks like a pretty good place to set up shop. There's a lot of industry starting to boom here. The iron uh, industry was booming. Obviously, the steel industry was booming. Coal was booming in our area. Pittsburgh actually, in this 1860s era, from 1830 to 1930, Pittsburgh was absolutely one of the most influential areas in the country. We had more millionaires in Pittsburgh than we did in New York City at that period from 1830 to 1930. Wow. So... You know, we have people like the Mellons, the Westinghouse, Heinz, Frick. Those people were all in the, the Pittsburgh area. And a lot of them were on the north side of Pittsburgh, which is where Manchester neighborhood is. So he disembarks, says, I'm setting up shop here. And he takes his money and he builds a grand residence right on the north side of Pittsburgh. So he and Lida become socialites. They're hosting parties all the time at the house. Uh you know, getting in with the in crowd, so to speak, and life is very good for them. However, in the winter, so they get here in the 1860s, so let's say mid-1860s, so in about 1871, so they've been here for about 10 years or so, they, uh, they haven't had any children, they don't have a family, it's still just Lida and Charles. Well, Lida comes home one day and hears quite a ruckus upstairs. However, nobody's supposed to be home but Charles and, of course, Essie. So as she approaches the bedroom, it's quite apparent what's going on. Uh-oh. Right. You so... see J-Dub's face when, when you said that. <laughs> He's making babies with somebody else. Oh. Thank you. Well... Lida decides to um, 
take the matters into her own hands. So before opening the door, she goes back to the kitchen and retrieves a butcher knife. Oh. So Lida goes back up to the store, to the door, pounds on the door. And the first person to exit is Charles, who promptly loses his head. And I don't mean figuratively. Wow. So Lida addresses that issue, goes in and promptly deals with Essie in much the same fashion. Uh, records indicate that Charles was stabbed approximately 30 times. So I don't think she accidentally stabbed him. <laughs> yeah, she no. was pissed. Yeah, I, I think Lida was... was was pretty upset with what was going on and and um made her point so to speak oh it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it made her point 30 plus times so a couple days later nobody's heard from the congliers you know there's they're usually out and involved with social activities things like that and nobody's come and gone at the house so a family friend stops by to pay a visit to check on them make sure make sure everything's okay Nobody answers the door. He tries the door. The door's unlocked. He goes in, calls for Charles, no answer. Calls for uh, Lida, no answer. So he goes in and he can hear a creaking, uh, like a rocking chair, similar to what J-Dub's doing. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime, anytime something scary's going on, I got to rock. Sorry if I make you seasick. So nobody's answering this this gentleman. However, he can hear somebody in a chair. So as he goes down the hallway, he approaches the sitting room and he sees what appears to be Lada in the rocking chair. And she's not answering him. She's not acknowledging that he's even there, but he can hear that she's singing a lullaby. And as, as he approaches, she, he sees that she's holding something. And it appears to be a baby wrapped in a blanket. So as he approaches her, she kind of looks at him with this blank stare and he he takes the blanket from her only to realize that it's Essie's severed head in the blanket. Ew. So obviously he screams in horror, calls the authorities, and unfortunately Essie is found guilty of murder times two. And that is the end of the socialites, uh, the Congliers, obviously Charles and and uh, Essie met their map, met their end, and Lida uh, was a victim of the justice system for what happened. Did so, they get in? Did they get into uh, how long she got put away for? Because I didn't see anything on that. They didn't. Um, she her name never comes back up in Pittsburgh history. Right on. So. You know, she probably if if she ever got out, uh, probably didn't make much of herself. Right. And uh, obviously, the the events that unfolded in that house were well known throughout the neighborhood. So, not surprisingly, nobody was quick to jump on that house when it went up for sale. So this house actually sat empty for a while, and uh, there I do have a picture of the house as it was seen in disrepair uh, I can share with you but uh it did sit empty for probably about 18 19 years that the house sat in disrepair and moved into it so 
that is that's the story of the Congleers and where the house originated and in, in the first family to live there. So the house is referred to in local lore as the house that the devil built. Because the tragic story of the Congleers is just the beginning of the house that sat in Manchester and I believe we have the actual address. The house isn't there currently. You have the address? I I do somewhere. Yeah, I got it right here. It's oh, um, do you? okay. Yeah, it's one one two nine Ridge Avenue, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yep, that's it. that's they talk about it being the the Conjure House, the house the devil built, or there's some that where they just call it the 1129 Ridge Avenue house or something to that effect from the research that I did. You can find it under all three different names. Yeah. I've also found it uh, referenced in some stories as the Conglier Man mansion. Uh huh. And uh, obviously I, you can find a lot of information on the internet. And of course, everything's true because it's on the internet, right? That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so there there's a lot of uh research that supports a lot of the the things that we're going to talk about and of course there's some research that says no we couldn't find anything that match up with that that supports the historical facts and i'm sure like any other good story it's based on fact and i'm sure there's a little bit of exaggeration mixed in but this these were the the stories that i was first introduced to this story um in on a halloween where we took a haunted trolley tour of Pittsburgh. Oh, and wow. Pittsburgh's got a lot of really interesting, uh, really interesting places with a lot of really interesting lore. And uh, this trolley took you around and showed you some of the different places and talked about things that had happened or allegedly happened. And this was one of the first stories that that we were introduced to was the Conglier House. So that's why I, I'd mentioned it to Golden Jay that this might be something worth looking into. And I was the more I found about the story, the more interesting it got. So that's how I kind of came to, to be interested in this one. So shall we should we move on to the next events at the house that the oh, double? Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so uh that was as I said. 1860s they moved in 1871 was when uh Charles and Essie's love affair was exposed and dealt with swiftly so then the house sat empty for a little while and in 1892 there's obviously a lot of railroad uh in the Pittsburgh area with all the you know river traffic and we also have to move ore and material through via rail so there was a lot of railroad work in the in the area with a lot of railroad work comes a lot of railroad workers. So in 1892, the house was turned into basically small apartments, uh, basically company housing for railroad workers. However, once it, they got everything finished and got the brooms established and started moving workers in there, it was only a few weeks before all the workers started reporting that they weren't able to sleep because they kept hearing somebody crying. They kept hearing a woman. They would hear someone singing lullabies. Mm. The, their tools would go missing. And then the next day be right where they were supposed to be. So this stuff went on for about two years before finally the railroad said, look, and you know, nobody will stay there. We move workers in there. 
after a few weeks, they don't want to be there anymore because they can't sleep. There's too much noise. There's all these things going on. So this really supported the neighborhood idea that this place was haunted, all these things that happened there. And the railroad workers were supporting those, those rumors by not staying. So after about two years, the railroad gave up on it and they abandoned it. So after all this money was put into it, now it's back abandoned again. So that was 1892. So 1892, now we back, we're back to having an abandoned building that's supposedly haunted. And of course, you know, everybody in the neighborhood is, you know, kids are daring each other to go into it and it's falling in disrepair. And nobody's interested in buying it because everybody knows about the, the lore and the stories and the awful things that have happened there. Until in 1901. In 1901, Dr. Adolf Brunruchter. Does that sound right, Golden Jay? Yeah, I'm so glad that you had to pronounce that, not me. <laughs> so, so Dr. Brunruchter, or Richter, Brunruchter, he stumbles upon the place and he's looking for a place in the Pittsburgh area. And he's got the money to put it in back to a single family house in all of its grandeur. So he buys the house and everybody tells him, look, you don't want to move in there. It's haunted. These are the things that happened there. Um, he doesn't really care. So he's, he's not worried about it. So the doc moves in and he sets up shop in the Pittsburgh area. So golden Jay, were you, did you see anything about the doc? At this, just that he was a recluse and he never really um, did any social stuff with his neighbors and stuff right. like that. Um, I mean, as far as like him, there wasn't a lot on him, but just that nobody really knew much about him and that he just stayed in that house and never came out. I think Uber and DoorDash delivered all the time. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so you're, so the perfect setup. You are exactly right. That That's what, what I found is that he didn't talk much to his neighbors. He was a recluse. Nobody knew much about him. He was kind of an odd guy. Yeah. Right. Well, good reason for that. He had a lot going on in the house. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Uh, Brunrichter, Brunrichter, he did have some visitors that nobody knew about. There was some scuttlebutt in the neighborhood about young girls coming to this house in the evening, but nobody knew who they were. They weren't from the area. So what apparently was happening was he was running a um, clandestine clinic. So back in that time period in the early 1900s, there may be a reason that a young girl would want to go to a doctor and not have anybody know where she was going. I think mm -hmm. everybody kind of pick up what I'm, what I'm mm -hmm. getting at. Yep. Mm -hmm. So if you are a doctor who wants to have people coming to your house and have nobody know where they're going, who they're going to see, this would be an ideal situation for you. So he was offering his services to young females in the area that needed his services. However, it would appear that once you go in, you may not leave. Oh, <laughs> oh sorry. <laughs> so one evening, there's a loud explosion at Dr. Brunrichter's house. And there's flashing lights and people screaming. The neighbors come out. 
and they can hear people screaming, they can see lights flashing, they can see fire. And of course they call the fire department and all the windows have blown out of the house from this explosion. And the fire department gets there finally, the police department gets there. As the fire department goes in, they find, they, they can hear people screaming, the, the doctor's nowhere to be found. As they go upstairs to see where the source of the fire and everything is, they find a decomposing female body restrained to the bed. Minus the head. Ew. <laughs> Obviously, that alone is pretty disturbing. Right. It gets much worse. <laughs> so they go down. They can't find, again, no reason. They can't find any reason for the screams. The screams of subdued. Obviously, this lady wasn't screaming. <laughs> so from what I was told is the fire department then descended the basement stairs into the basement to find a makeshift laboratory. In this makeshift laboratory, there were five heads in containers. Mm -hmm. What I was told was the young captain of the fire department who first descended the steps, the first head that he saw mouthed the words, help me. Oh, my Oh, snaps. Yeah, I didn't I didn't read that anywhere that on the tour that that's what I was told was that this captain was forever shaken by this event. And as he dis, he reported again, um, I couldn't find this in any log books or anything. But what I was told was as he descended the steps looking for victims, the first decapitated head mouthed the words, help me. Now, what they found was that there was electricity hooked up to this head. Apparently, the doc was investigating and experimenting on is helping to lengthen lives through electricity, trying to figure out, you know, reanimation. Hmm. And so this was his laboratory, and this was how he was getting his experimental victims or subjects was by luring these young girls to the house and then separating their bodies from their heads for scientific purposes. Wow. Now there were four bodies dug up from the basement floor. So they were able to match up. Each one of these bodies was related to one of the heads that was in the, the laboratory. However, guess what they didn't find? The good old doctor. The doctor, yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> so, yeah, doctor, uh, doctor was nowhere to be found. He never showed up. Never re resurfaced in the Pittsburgh area. Basically, got while the getting was good. Knew the jig was up, and skipped town. Hmm. Now, before are you uh, before you finish? Uh, the doctor story here what do you think or what have you heard about why the house went up and and because i also read i also read that there was like an earth it was almost like an earthquake where the ground was shaken so bad that it broke apart the sidewalks and you know then the explosions and the fire and and there was something about the red light was it was a bright red light in the house do you think that one of his experience experiments just went completely bad and that's kind of the direction that went in? 
that's what I was able to read was the fire department chalked it up to that it was the equipment that he was using malfunctioned and caused the explosion. As far as the ground shaking, like there was no there's no correlation of like an earthquake in that area. Right. That time period. But I did read that and I, I would it was localized. So it would appear that the ground shaking that the neighbors felt was related to the explosion. Right. On. However, you know, they they chalked it up as faulty equipment. But that is pretty open ended. Now, again, we're talking about the early 1900s. It's not like we have, you know, accelerant sniffing dogs or. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. A police fire marshal wasn't coming in. To <laughs> so they basically looked for the most plausible explanation and chalked it up as that. So there is certainly as as we move on with the story that it may not have been that simple. Right. You know, it. this may have been. Maybe a little bit more paranormal in nature. As far as why these type of people were attracted to this location, you know what I mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And um, and basically them getting them their their what was coming to them. However, like we said, the doctor wasn't. It, it wouldn't appear at this point in our story. It doesn't appear that the doctor was victim to this explosion, and we'll find out that he actually wasn't. Or. Or so we would be led to believe. Right, right. Right, Golden Jay? Yeah, absolutely. You nod in your head because I, yeah. I think you know what, where we're going next. Yep. So shall we Shall we yep. continue with the doc? Absolutely. So now our story leaves Pittsburgh and we take a quick jaunt up to New York City. In, in New York City, this is 1927. So this is approximately 20 years after our events in Pittsburgh. Yep. So 20 years later in New York City, an older gentleman is arrested for public intoxication. So this gentleman gets brought into the New York City Police Department and he's being booked for public intoxication. And they say, what is your name? And he says, I am Dr. Richter, <laughs> I kept want, I keep wanting to put a Vaughn in front of that. I, I know, right? It feels like it should be a Vaughn, Von, right? Von <laughs> he says to them, "I am Doctor Brun Richter, and I am from Pittsburgh, where I did lots of experiments to try to lengthen human life. Mm-hmm. But I do regret that I had to end lives for my my experiments." And he he said they. They know about five of my victims, but they don't know about the rest. Hmm. But they thought he was batshit crazy. <laughs> so, well, to, to the New York's finest credit, they said, well, tell us more. And he said, well, there's there's additional bodies buried here, here and here in the Pittsburgh area. So, again, I know, you know, this is 1927. It's it's not couple years ago so i'm sure they didn't run him through you know the computer system or anything but somehow they did reach out to pittsburgh and say we got this old guy and we're going to keep him locked up because he said he killed a bunch of people in pittsburgh and here's where he said the bodies are so pittsburgh investigates gets back to new york and said we didn't find any more bodies so Hmm. they said okay he's batshit crazy Hmm. so they cut him loose 
never to be heard from again. Wow. So apparently, you know, we're left to wonder, was that, was that the doc? And if it wasn't, how would he know about the story back in Pittsburgh? Right. So, you know, we're, we're left wondering, was that a batshit crazy guy that was, ex- you know, kind of taking the story of the doc and, and adding to it? Or was that the doc who was coming clean on the rest of his, his victims? Hmm. Yeah. I, I thought that was interesting because, um, you know, he is, he is drunk. He comes in, he says, you know, this is who I am. This is what I did. And and they put him away for what what was it like a thirty month. days? Yeah, yeah. They, they they held him for a month while they investigated. Yeah, and then they didn't find any bodies where he said the bodies were, and they're like, "Well, he's harmless. We can let him go." But if you have a confession that he killed five women that they know of, you would think they would have shipped his ass back to Pittsburgh, and you know he would have withstood some sort of trial there, but. I mean, they just, they just let him go. Like he was, you know, eh, you know, he's just a drunk. It's all good. And there again, you know, we're talking in the early twenties. So how many different ways do we have for somebody to prove they are who they say they are? Right. True. Or disprove they are who they say they are. So, you know, I can kind of understand how when he says, Hey, there's five more bodies and here's where they are. And Pittsburgh says they're not there. Right. Then they say, okay, well, it's a confession of, of a crime that we can't find any evidence actually happened. So While yeah. we're sitting here talking about this though. I mean, it is 20 years later. It is 20 years after, after the uh, incident in the house and the explosion. Do you suppose that maybe if it wasn't the doctor, let's just say let's for shits and giggles, let's just say it wasn't the doctor, but he had been in Pittsburgh and heard the story mm-hmm. And then he's in New York. And he's all liquored up and be like, "Yeah, watch this one." You know, I mean, I mean, he could have that knowledge if he'd heard the stories, you know, ten years ago when he was living in Pittsburgh or something like that, right? Like in the newspaper or something. Maybe. Right. So then, you know, you're led to believe either a he was looking for notoriety for crimes he didn't commit, which right. certainly is possible, or he was admitting to crimes he committed and maybe there were bodies in shallow graves that weren't there anymore. Yeah. True. Washed away or taken away by animals or. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, we didn't have GPS. So maybe the directions that he gave, how do we know how right on the money they were as to where they were looking? It's very easy. If he said, well, it was off, you know, up on Mount Washington, where the two oak trees are four foot apart and they're like, yeah, well, we didn't find them. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I keep forgetting that we're, we're back in the 1920s in this story. Well, so. and It could be like, you know, uh, he's like, I'm going to get myself off on this, you know, these charges. I'm just going to tell them bogus places because once they go look and they don't find them, they're going to be like, oh yeah, he's bad shit crazy. <laughs> and then they're going to be like, oh, you can leave. <laughs> Yeah, but there again, initially he was only booked on public drunkenness, so he would have been gone. Right. Yeah, he didn't have to tell him that's true. Who he was. I'm John Doe. Well, yeah. Personally, my thought process is it was him. And the directions he gave just didn't, they weren't exact enough for them to actually find the bodies. Right. It was him. And he was like, yeah, 
well, I'm not just some drunk. I'm actually a doctor that tried to find a way to reanimate people and further their lives. And I did experiments and here's a stack of bodies. And they were like, yeah, we didn't find them. You're good to go. Right. Like, right. all right, well, my conscience is clean. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. He just went to confession. Oh, yeah. All right. Crazy. I, I love this. I love being able to play, play, you know, the devil's advocate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, that is not the end of the story of the house. Nope, it is not. It is not the end of the story of the house that the devil built. And nothing good's going to happen. <laughs> it doesn't turn into daycare. <laughs> Thank God. So that's, that is the last we hear of, of the doctor, though. Yes. So we don't know if a ser serial killer just was let go and continued on. Who knows if maybe the doctor killed more people, you know? So that's the last we hear of him. And that's the last that, that his name appears in, in the Pittsburgh area. So the house, again, stands abandoned because now not only did we have Lida chop up Essie and, and Charles, but then we had the railroad people move in who said, nope, 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 that place is haunted. It's all kind of haunted. We're not living there. So then the good doctor moves in and adds to the reasons that you don't want to live there. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there were five. There were five bodies buried in the basement. Well, no, I'm sorry. Four bodies buried in the basement, one upstairs chained to the bed, and five <laughs> heads in the basement. <laughs> Probably not looking good on... I, I wouldn't want to be the realtor trying to market that. <laughs> no. Do they have to disclose that? Mm -hmm. I know they do now. <laughs> but I, I'm sure back then, as soon as you walked up to the house, there'd be five neighbors saying, you don't want to buy yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So the house again, stands aban abandoned for a number of years. Uh, during this period, though, it's becoming more well-known that all these bad things happened there. And there may be some paranormal activity going on there. Because again, we have the railroad talk workers that talked about the voices, hearing Lida singing, their tools going missing and reappearing. Uh, there's also a story, I don't know if you came across the Golden Jay, there, there was a story about two brothers that were railroad workers there. Yep. I, I didn't put too much of that in my notes because it just didn't make a lot of sense to me. But no, apparently, yeah, yeah, it was hard to understand exactly what had happened. But go ahead. But apparently, there was two two brothers that were railroad workers during that time, that two year period where they were using it for housing, and there was a, a, they both died in the house. And the events that led up to their deaths just were very hard to understand, like Golden Jay said. But apparently it, it dealt with one of them falling through a floor and another one being tangled in wiring. But again, just going back to the fact that a lot of paranormal bad juju is going on with this house. Right. right. So, again, this is in the, you know, 1930s, 1940s. And now we're starting to see people becoming interested in you know seances and paranormal and and communicating with the dead and that kind of thing you know you guys can picture the the old-timey photos of the the crystal ball in the middle of the table and the seances and all the things that were going on in that in that time period right so this house becomes a place where that might be worth 
us going and trying to communicate with the dead or experience some paranormal. So a psychic goes there and she is credited with being one of the more uh, substantiated psychics of the time period. So she goes to the house and says, there's something really bad here. There's something more than the people that did bad things here. There's something that motivated those people to do the bad things. And it is waiting for an opportunity to do catastrophic things beyond the walls of this house. So that's about as much information as she can provide. It's, it's something evil. It's something more than a quote unquote ghost. It is a stronger entity that's laying in wait for an opportunity to do mass death beyond the walls of the house. Is that something that you came across golden Jay? Absolutely. I did. Yes. So that's pretty ominous. Yeah. But she can't say where, when, what type of event. All she can say is there's something truly evil here that's waiting for an opportunity to do as much harm as possible. So everybody kind of takes that for what it's worth. You know, this is a psychic. There's a lot of fake psychics at the time period. There are some that have been substantiated with some information. And again, she's one of the ones that reportedly in the, in the research was more credible. So that is, what year was that? That was, uh, we're getting into the 1900s, right? So that was 1927. So now we're into like the mid-1920s. So in the mid-1920s, there's a guy that's trying to invent, invent a device to communicate with the dead. I, Jay, I see you you're shaking your head. You know who this guy is, right? I do. I do. Okay. Rocker Chick or J-Dub, do you know who the guy was in the in the late 20s that was trying to invent a device to talk to the dead? I bet you've heard of him. You might not know oh. that this was one of his experiments. I I never knew that this guy was uh, involved or had that much interest in in that paranormal uh, side of things. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know who it is. Thomas Edison. Oh, <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. So... Yeah, not exactly an obscure uh, figure in history. So right. Thomas Edison believed that when you died, your body began to decay, but your intelligence continued on. It's It was in what he believed, um, it was almost like he was skeptical, but he knew that there was something, something more. You know, his his religious background is a little cloudy in research and things like that. But he did he did say that he believed that your intelligence continued. And there was a period after your death where your intelligence could still communicate. So he was trying to come up with this device and allegedly had prototypes. Now, there are mention of these prototypes. And uh, one of his close friends said, yes, I saw it. However, in his death. We never found it. We right. haven't found it yet. But apparently there he did have some prototypes on trying to communicate with the dead. So if you're trying to communicate with the dead and there's this house in Pittsburgh that allegedly people are hearing things, hearing voices. There's a, a, a medium or a psychic that went there and said, yep, yep, there's something, something here that's trying to reach out. 
It's rumored that Thomas Edison paid a visit to the house in Manchester. Now, we didn't find any notes about his visit there, of what he found, what he was able to communicate with. But what we do know from what his close friends say is after that visit, his desire, his his fire to, to create this device was invigorated. So we don't know what happened there. I wish we did. Uh, I even if we had some some rumors of people that were there with him, but we don't we don't know what happened there. But apparently, after his visit, he was reinvigorated to that this device could work. So that's all we have on that, unfortunately. Thomas Edison. Yeah, learn think about new. that. Think about that a minute. The guy, the guy that invented the light bulb, was like. I'm going to talk to the dead. <laughs> Let's do could, this thing. You could theorize that, you know, if this guy was so intelligent to have these successful inventions, I can't imagine that if he had this idea and it went nowhere, he would have continued on with it. So right. the fact that this, this idea of this device to communicate with the dead is something that pops up throughout the history and again we don't we never found it however his friends have said yes he he was working on it so i would have to think that experiments were leading him to believe that he was gaining ground oh right? yeah. yeah yeah right certainly we don't have any proof of that but it seems to make sense at least makes for a better story right <laughs> right <laughs> i wonder if he was you know because he did invent the light bulb and he was kind of on this mission with the paranormal. I wonder if he uh, was in cahoots with uh, with with Doc there, who was working on using electricity to keep maybe keep uh, people alive. And if you no. if you look at the 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 biometrics of that, if you look at how our bodies work, I mean our do our bodies do run on electricity. Yep, absolutely. You know, your your heartbeat is a, a auto generated electrical impulse yep. you know that's what we look at when we look at ekgs we're looking at polarization and depolarization of electrical activity in the heart so this whole tie back to electricity certainly isn't so far-fetched i mean right. it, it's interesting or un unnerving <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> frankenstein Oh, they were shit. working together. Think about Frankenstein. <laughs> Damn. You know, I'm going to ponder this the rest of the night after this is over. I'm going to be like, okay, let's put this electrical thing. You know, just start piecing it all together. So speaking of electric. Oh, wait, no, I, we shouldn't speak electric. It wasn't electric gum. <laughs> no. Are, are you talking about our next chapter in this? I am exactly talking about our next chapter. It's not an electric company. It's, it's a it's a gas company. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, my bad. So no, that that is as we continue on with the uh, the final chapter of the house that the devil built. So this this time, it's not like Thomas Edison never moved into the house. He visited the house allegedly. Right. And the house was still empty. Nobody inhabited it because of all the horrible things that were happening there. Yep. However, there is also the motivating factor of profit. And sometimes paranormal activity isn't so important when you're talking about things that make business sense. So 
in the mid 20s or I'm sorry, mid to late 20s. So now we're getting into the mid to late 20s. Uh, the gas company was building a huge natural gas storage facility. And it was on the north side of Pittsburgh, not far, maybe two blocks from where our house that the devil built was located. So when you're building a massive, massive natural gas storage facility, you need a massive number of workers, right? And just like the railroad facility, they said, there's this, there's this giant building on the north side in Manchester that nobody's using. And the railroad company said, yeah, we can make that into apartments and house workers there. Well, the gas company said the same thing. There's this big house on the, in Manchester, blocks away from where we're working, that we can build housing for our workers. And a lot of these workers were immigrant workers. So they build, build out again, build out the mansion into housing for the workers that are working on this massive natural gas storage facility. So... Again, within two weeks, these workers are reporting. We're hearing people crying in the hall. We come out, there's nobody there. We hear people crying in the basement. We go down, there's nobody there. We hear people singing at night. There's nobody there. Our tools are going missing. And then the next day, they're back where they were supposed to. So very, very, very similar to what the railroad workers were experiencing. Well, in November... On November 14th, and this is this is something that is not disputable, not lore, not based on fact. This is fact. In November 14th, there was a leak at this massive natural gas storage facility. And there was an explosion, a massive explosion. Oh. In fact, uh, as much as I hate reading on a podcast, I'm going to read you what, what actually occurred. So on Monday, November 14th, a crew of 16 workers climbed to the top of the Equitable Gas Company's 5 million cubic foot natural gas storage tank. There was a leak that they were attempting to repair. At 8.43 that morning, a flame erupted from the tank and the huge container shot upwards into the air. Steel, stone, and human bodies were sent hurling into the sky. Two of the men that had been working on top of the tank were thrown against a brick building more than 100 feet away with their silhouettes outlined on the brick wall. Seconds later, another tank exploded, creating another giant ball of fire. Then a third tank exploded. This one partially full was wrenched apart and added to the inferno. Smoke flame and flames were visible for miles. The force was so awesome that it blew out windows and shook buildings for a 20 mile radius. Wow. wow. This is well documented that this did in fact happen. And these, the locomotives were knocked over and homes and structures were damaged as far as way as East, as East Liberty, which East Liberty is basically the opposite side of the Pittsburgh area. So you have, you know, north side, south side, you have the east end and the west end. So we're talking about the north side of Pittsburgh. East Liberty is the east end of Pittsburgh. Wow. And there was, there were houses damaged all the way there. So it goes on to talk about the, the horrific things that were witnessed. And, you know, the, the battalion chief from engine company 47 was, was the nearest engine company to that area. And there's accounts of, uh, what Battalion Chief Jones saw and the horrific things. And so it was told to me that when this explosion happened, that the house 
in Manchester totally was obliviated, didn't exist anymore. All it was left was a crater. But it was the only house in Manchester that was completely obliviated. Mm. And on top of the explosion, roar, a roar was heard on the north side of Pittsburgh that day as if something was released. Wow. Again, going back to the firsthand, when, when I was on the north side listening to this story, that was relayed to me by the person that was taking into account that not only was there the massive explosion, the damage, the fire, but specific to the north side of Pittsburgh, they heard what sounded like a demonic roar. And that was the end of the house that the devil moved. Now, there was a lot of death. Um, I, I want to say 28, 29 people were killed that day. And there were 600 people injured, significantly injured from that explosion. So now we hearken back to there is something evil in the house that is waiting for an opportunity to inflict as much pain and death as possible. And then we have this catastrophic event two blocks away, I believe around two blocks away. Right, right. And then the house that we're trying to tie to the story is completely obliterated where other houses were damaged, but we're still, you could still find that they were there. Right. But the house that the devil built was gone. Yeah. I had read that it just left. I would read it was two different craters where the house was at and that people speculated that, um, the house was sucked back to hell where it was where it was mm -hmm. uh, supposedly come from. I I saw that too, and you know I certainly indulged in in some of what might have been exaggeration. Oh or yeah, color colorizing the story a little bit. That seemed I didn't include that because I don't, that seemed like maybe I don't know. Yeah, it's just a fun, I just thought it was a fun little part of it. You know, it's like you know as folklore goes. I you thought know, it was like, like an 80-foot crater. <laughs> what I had read. 80-foot crater was left on the on the north side. Really? I don't remember reading about 80 foot. I just know that it was it was very big, but yeah. Um so now I once again as we get into the research, I had read that there was the Carnegie Science Center was actually built on that space but everything else i read said it's still just an abandoned lot and like i said early on i was, I was google mapping that address there's nothing there so now, is, you, no you're right if you look at uh you were talking about the street view and yeah. if, if you turn 180 degrees you'll see the parking lot for Akershore. yeah to the right if from that point of view if from your street view if you're looking at the parking lot for Akershore to the right of Akershore is the Carnegie Science Center. Okay, okay. So, so it's not really directly on top of where the house was at, but... Not uh, the house, where the explosion was. Oh, okay, okay. That right. would explain so that. Where the house was, there is nothing. Right. Um, from from what I could gather from everything I looked at, and when we were there, it, there, was, there was nothing there. But where the explosion occurred is where the... And, and 
I could be mistaken here, but from everything that I could read, from what I understand, and again, physically, I've been there. Right. I, I believe that that is where the new the new Carnegie Science Center is where the explosion occurred. Well, see that, and that makes sense to me now. You know, like I said, you're kind of reading it, and it says, "Oh, this was built there," but it does make more sense if it was if I just had misread it when I read it. That and it these are all, all these all these buildings that we're talking about are all within. You know, if you within two, three blocks of each right, other. Right, right. But they say that they're still having experiences there at that at the science center, too. Did you read that? I did not read that. They didn't get into specifics, but it was just like, um, you know, certain things were still happening in that in, in that building also. So, um, you know, it's just a quick little side note off to, the, you know, at the bottom. Now, of I the do paragraph. know they have a World War Two submarine that's that's docked at the science center that you can tour and i have heard stories of of noises and things like that in that right. submarine but i think that probably relates back to the history of that submarine not necessarily right absolutely so as i was reading this and being in the pittsburgh area do you think that this might relate back to Native American culture and burial grounds and stuff in that area that would cause some of uh, some of these uh, experiences? So let me choose my words carefully here. Okay. I believe that in this, in the Pittsburgh area, there is a lot of um, Native American culture and a lot of things specific to their culture that we maybe not don't understand. I think that what happened on the north side, if we're going to say yes, it's there's a paranormal basis for what happened there. And we're going to say that's obviously an evil paranormal entity. Right. I I would not see any reason, nor do I think it would be appropriate to say evil would equate at all to Native American. Gotcha. Yep. That ma- well, that makes absolute sense. I, the the reason I was thinking that was because we've done a lot of stories recently, where it is, uh, you know, Native American burial grounds or or whatever we're getting, you know, built upon, and a lot of the hauntings and things that were going on, were all going kind of back to, you know, the disturbance of a burial ground. Yeah, and I I do I have read a lot of stories and seen a lot of stories where the due respect wasn't paid to the ground and the inhabitants paid the price for that. But I think that's different than saying that something was inherently purely evil. Right. Right. And unleashed on the area. Right. So to answer your question, yeah, we do have a lot of native American um, culture in this area. But if we're going to say, yes, this was something paranormal, I don't think it had anything to do with Native American culture. Right on. That's fair. Absolutely. Like I said, this is just my brain churning because the fact that, you know, uh, she decapitated the maid and then the doctor is also decapitating the girls. And, you know, I never made that connection. We're talking 20 years apart and these things are happening in this house. It just, yeah, it just. That's an like... excellent point, Golden Jay. I, I didn't, I, it didn't. My brain didn't say the first, the first instant at that house involved decapitation, and right. what the doc was doing there was decapitation. So that's, that's an interesting tie between those two events. Right. Right. 
So, I mean, just something to think about. I mean, it's not that I, I'm not saying that the Native American culture was evil. And that, <laughs> that's not what I was getting at. It's just we have a lot of the, the you know, the disturbance of, of uh, sacred ground and stuff like that throughout history and and a lot of the hauntings and stuff like that. And is that it, could that be part of, you know, why? I mean, obviously she was enraged, you know, her husband's sleeping with the maid. This is the maid that they brought with them. And my under, my understanding was is she'd went to the door. She could hear what was going on. She ran back downstairs, grabbed a butcher knife and a meat cleaver. That was one of the other uh, things that I had read, knocked on the door and he walked through. And the first thing through his head was that meat cleaver. And then she, you know, stabbed, you know, stabbed him to uh, 30 times. And once again, you know, does that rage, does that rage come from, you know, is there some sort of paranormal presence in the house, which would help cause and really burn that rage even hotter than, than, um, that's what I think. I, I totally hear what you're saying. I think that if, if we are going to say yes, that there was something evil that was having an effect on people, then your reaction to that situation would be different because of the influence that's right. happening around you. You know, whereas maybe if that house was five blocks away, maybe she kicks the door open and screams and throws throws all his stuff on the lawn and you know throws the maid out. Right. Right. But because of where she was and maybe, you know, it, again, I'm not saying that I believe that there was an evil thing in this house making people kill people. However, right, right. If, if we're going to say, yeah, that can happen, that would make sense to me that it would drive her to have a very different reaction. Whereas as opposed to kicking open the door, which you would think like if you're faced with that situation, we're like, oh, my God, I know what's happening in there. Your reaction would be to kick the door open and scream and throw his stuff out. But she says, no, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go back down to the kitchen. I'm going to get a knife and a cleaver and I'm going to knock on the door and then I'm going to exact my revenge. So. It would certainly make sense, or you could see where the thought process is drastically different, possibly because of what's affecting how you're going to handle that situation. Right, right. And something could have been there, and that event opened the door completely for the other events. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because once, you know, energy feeds energy, right? So yep. as that negativity perpetuates negativity or evil perpetuates evil and it becomes stronger and stronger. Yeah. Cause they were socialites having a good old time. And then something might've just been hanging out and like, you know, they're happy people. And then this happens and he's, he's like, here I go. Coming <laughs> and we don't like golden Jay was saying, you know, that, so there was nothing there prior to, you know, the North side being built up. So why, why there? Why at that address? Why would, if there was something evil, why was it there? You know, and like nowadays, here we are in 2023, we can usually trace back to, well, this house, before this house was here, there was an asylum here, or there was, mm -hmm. but before that, there was no structures, right? And, you know, at, at one point, there was, there were no neighborhoods. So what, what would trigger evil to be there prior to, evil people being there right 
And that's where I, I understand where Jay, Golden Jay was coming from with talking about the Native Americans, because obviously they were the ones that were here. Yeah. But so why, why, you know, why, if there was something evil in that house, why was it there? Why did, and so maybe, maybe Charles was an evil person, you know, and there are good people and there are bad people, right? Well, so, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't the most, um, uh, well, how do we put this? The, the things that he was doing in Texas prior to the civil war or, you know, because of all that and, and the money he made so quickly was from my understanding, he was, um, you know, kind of, kind of taking advantage. Yeah. Well, and, and screwing people over yes. and things like that. So, I mean, maybe jumping on that freighter and coming up there, maybe he was drawn to that. Okay. Let, and let's, let's take my, let's take my native American culture out of that. I mean, if, if there was something, uh, a, a portal, a portal or something, you know, that would connect to hell, that would, that would, that resonates evil, resonates evil. Yeah. Thanks. I got big words, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> that maybe he was drawn to just that piece of property and says, this is perfect. This, this is the place that I would need to be. And, yeah, and, because he didn't set out to go to Pittsburgh. And and like you said, he wasn't a good guy. Yeah. It's not like he made his money helping people. No. You know, like you said, he he made his he was opportunistic and he took advantage of people and he made a lot of money and he set set sail to go north. And from everything I've read, the ship that he was on, the riverboat that he was on, stopped at the 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 three rivers there to load up with coal. And he said, you know what? This is the place for me. So, yeah, maybe maybe he was not a very good guy and was drawn to that that area. Like we said, you know, he, bad, bad draws bad. Uh, yeah. Right. Or the ladies were into something like the maid. We don't know if what it's the maid was doing. All I, all I could find out about the ladies was I know that Lida was was Mexican heritage. Mm hmm. Uh, but I could not find uh, much out about the maid. Hmm. Yeah, that that is true. the The stories the stories are um are actually extremely thin when it comes to any backstories or anything like that. There's not a lot of uh, other information other than just kind of the uh, the story of the house and kind of where they came. You know, a quick where they came from and and how it all ended, but. I mean, you couldn't find anything more on on even him as far as, you know. Now, once once you once I traced him back to Texas, that's as far, you know, there wasn't much. And, yeah. and he was nobody. You know, he was just another guy that was doing the things that a lot of people were doing at that time period. So there really wasn't any reason for him to stand out to be in any historical records until he got to Pittsburgh. Right. And certainly understandable why he would, again, at that time period. With and that's something that I didn't I didn't realize how much money was in Pittsburgh at that that quote unquote golden era where the Carnegies and the Mellons and the Fricks were coming up and right. you know the the coal industry and the iron industry and the steel industry and and so the fact that he was drawn here because he wanted to live that lifestyle right well and he's like you said you know that's it's a beautiful piece of uh, country over in that direction and 
And, uh, you know, that's another piece of that, you know, Oh, look around. This is, this would be a good place just to land and call it, call it home. Yeah. And I think it was the money and the, and the social opportunities that drew him. Right. Otherwise I think he would have got out of, you know, he would, he would have been out in Beaver County or Westmoreland County, or if he was looking for, for pretty, pretty land, I think he was looking for, Hoi polloi and <laughs> he wanted to be somebody. Yeah, I I think so. I think so. But that, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. So that that is the the story of the house that the devil been on, built on the north side of Pittsburgh in in Manchester. Very wow. interesting. No, I, when when you sent me the story, I was I, I started looking into it, and I'm like, oh yeah, we definitely need to get Peter on to talk about this. Cause this is awesome. Cause it is, it, it, I mean, it's generational, you know, and you ever noticed that there was like 20 year gaps in between. Did you catch I did. that? I did, which kind of, I think lended a little bit of credibility that the place stood empty for a while. You know, I, I think, and it, it's frustrating because as much as you look and you find um, facts that support what you're researching, then you find things that say, well, no, you know, so-and-so never existed because we couldn't find any right. uh, historical reference to them. Well, if they weren't an important person in history in 1909, why would you find reference to them in any historical documents or newspapers or anything like that? You know, the fact that, uh, like, that was one of the, and I tried to research with an open mind and I try to look at both sides and you know I certainly don't want to perpetuate something that is clearly false but there's the the arguments against some of the facts of the story are thin as well you know like one one journalist said well I I investigated Dr uh um <laughs> I, it's not Vaughn stop saying <laughs> Vaughn uh but the 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 journalist said he investigated the story of him being arrested in, in New York City for public intoxication, couldn't find any historical reference to that. Well, why would there be? He was arrested and they what he said they assumed was was BS. So they cut him loose. Yeah, right. Correct. So why would the why would you find any reference to that in the paper? Why it if they would have investigated it and Pittsburgh would have said, holy cow, we found 10 bodies where he said there would be five. Then then the papers probably would have ran a story about that. Right. But the fact that some crazy old guy said he killed a bunch of women in Pittsburgh and it wasn't found to be factual. Then the fact that you didn't find any reference to it in historical papers doesn't mean it didn't happen. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and like I said, when we talked before about UFOs and Bigfoot, things like that, if we don't know it's true or it's not true, it's sure fun to talk about it. Exactly. Oh, absolutely. No, not UFOs or anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Peter, that was an amazing story, dude. I, I loved every minute of it. Girls. Yes. Yeah. When we don't talk, we're just listening. You know, we're, yeah. we're taking it in. So listen, and there is not much time where they don't talk. Trust me. No, that's you. Oh, wait, what? No. Yes. No. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, Peter, I want to thank you for coming and joining us and bringing us this story. Um, once again, great to see you again. 
Yeah, uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. Any any time to interact with you guys is it's just a blast. So thank you so much for the opportunity to come back. Well, you know, you know, we're gonna put you to work again. Uh, so uh, maybe in a couple months we can get you back and for another story. Uh, there's there's more weird stuff in the Pittsburgh area to talk about. Nice. Right. Absolutely, I'm sure there is. <laughs> well, you were talking about the the haunted uh, uh, ride that you went on, right? What was it? It was it a um what oh, the trolley. On the tro- yeah, the trolley trolley ride, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The uh in the in the Halloween time in the Pittsburgh area, there there's a well, even year round, there's some really great ghost tours. There's walking ghost tours, and then around the Halloween time, there's the trolley ghost tours, but there's a lot of old, old history in the Pittsburgh area, and of course, with old, old history comes a lot of stories, but yeah, if you're ever out here for any reason, there's year round, there's great walking ghost tours that have a lot of history involved with them. It's not jump scare stuff. It's it's historical stuff. Right. A lot of interesting things that have happened. Yeah. Cool. J-Dub doesn't like jump scare. No. <laughs> now we have the scare house out, out in the Pittsburgh area, which is, I think, one of the top five scary attractions in the Pittsburgh or I'm sorry, in the at the Halloween time, and that's not something you'll find me at. I'd much rather walk. I'd much rather walk around downtown and find out about all this the spooks and 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 historical facts than have yeah. somebody chase me with a chainsaw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, thank you. No chainsaws. Yeah, I can see that wouldn't be a fun time. All right, well, we're gonna get out of here. We're gonna let you uh, let you get uh, out. Also, uh, are you going to make it to the hockey game tonight or no? No, I, I'll I'll wait for Grandpa to bring him home and and hear about all the wonderful things that that all the goals he scored and the assists that he made. All right, Very nice. <laughs> we expect an update. So, <laughs> absolutely. Well, Peter, thank you once again, and we are looking forward again to working with you. And uh, we appreciate you coming on and doing this and being a listener and 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 a supporter and. Uh, and everything that, uh, you know, revolved around that. So thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Oh, you're quite welcome. Again, thank you for the opportunity to be involved. Awesome. All right. Well, we're going to get out of here. So um, I don't even know what to say. Uh, after all that, that's a lot that I'm still processing certain mm-hmm. things on. So I guess we'll see you on the other side. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to The United States of Paranormal. Check us out at theunitedstatesofparanormal.com or at any other of our social media pages. At Twitter, at T-O-S-O-P-P-O-D. At Instagram, at the United States of Paranormal. Or Facebook, at the United States of Paranormal. Or YouTube, at the United States of Paranormal. 1795. Please check out our other podcasts in the Golden Mojo Entertainment Network. The Call Guys, Golden Image Podcast, Indiana Chiefs Fans, The Golden 80s, Murd Nerds, and A Court of Books and Booze. And if you have a location you would like us to check into or a creepy story that you would love to tell us, please email us at the United States of Paranormal at gmail.com. Please like, rate, and subscribe wherever you listen.